Matt's really good about leading in. I will give him credit for that. Matt's a really good lead. Yeah, and then he goes for the 20 minutes straight. <laughs> I'll say, Matt's really, Matt's really good State at fans. filling up the entire show. <laughs> we haven't talked about the Braves losing. Do you want to talk about that? I really don't want to talk about the Braves losing because it was just really disappointing to watch the hottest bats of the season just flop and have zero production. Yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't good, but I mean, and unfortunately, you can go back and listen to the archives. Matt and I predicted the unfortunate loss that was to come. I mean, it's just, yeah, you kind of felt it coming after they won the division. You kind of felt like the Braves really started to coast. And the bats kind of went cold, and it was like, man, it's you, know, you lose two out of three to the Nationals with your same starting lineup that you had all year in the last game, or not the last game, but the last uh, series of the season. You just kind of felt it coming. I mean, the Phillies are are seem to be built for October in the way they played last year and the way that they're played this year, and they've only lost one playoff game, and see what happens tonight. But the Phillies are hot at the right time again, man. It's just... Yeah, it's just it, it was it was easy to see coming because like you just you felt like with the injuries, Charlie Morton and the fact that we had to trust Bryce Elder to start Game Three on the road and that the bats really didn't get going in a really winnable game in Game One. That yeah, you know it is what it is. I mean, see, I was a little, a, I was a little like what you just said. I I was thinking that the Braves were kind of coasting as well, but I kind of had a little bit of hope once. They had all the records get broken there at the end. I was like, okay, that's a cool spark, and to kind of drive them into the to the off to the postseason. Um, and then they had the inner squad scrimmages. I thought that was a good idea to kind of keep the bats going. But really, I didn't think the bats would be the the pitching is what it is. I thought the bats would show up, and they didn't show up at all. So you have the mediocre pitching, the bats didn't show, and you just has you just had nothing against a team that was flying off the shelves with propaganda. Well, and you got to think too. I mean, if you look at the roster losses over the past two years since we've won the World Series, we haven't lost a ton. I mean, the Braves are still very talented and very young, and they have a lot of control over some really good young players. But the main, the number one captain, like the leader of the locker room of the last two seasons, Freddie Freeman, 2021, last year was really Dansby Swanson. You come into this season, you got to have guys step up. And did I think we had guys step up? I think we did. But at the end of the day, when you're relying on such young players to lead your team who really have only been in the postseason a couple years, have only been in the MLB for a couple years. I mean, you had Austin Riley, you had Acuna. Um, besides that, you got to get a lot of newer guys who don't have a lot of experience in the postseason, including Matt Olson, because he played for the freaking A's for his entire career until last year. So. It's still, it's just not a super experienced team, and I think hopefully they grow from this. I mean, two years in a row of mm-hmm. being what I what I see as the best team in the National League, and then coming in and losing to the Phillies first round. I think it's going to take its toll. So, so they do next year. And it wasn't just the Braves either. You saw the top five in the league. Houston won the series, but other than that, even even as good as the American League West was, I mean, you saw Tampa Bay got swept out in two games in the wild card round. You know, I think Toronto was a pretty good team, but even the Twins having that home field advantage, the Twins were the winner of the worst division in baseball this year, were never really challenged, and they weren't that good either. The Orioles? And Orioles got swept. Uh, Dodgers got, got swept. You know, baseball, it's a fickle game. It's a really, really fickle game, and it's not really comparable. You know, we talk about football on this show all the time, but it's just, it's not really comparable to 
anything else. Like, rarely does the best team in Major League Baseball win the World Series. Very rarely. In 2021, as happy as I am with that, still my favorite sports moment I've ever had, like of any any fandom in my life ever. It the Braves were 88 and 73. Didn't even play a full 162 game regular season because they had a game they never made up. So you got 161 games because they didn't have to remake it up. Uh, they won the division. They didn't have 90 wins. I think the Braves combined in the playoffs to get 100 wins. And they won 104 this year. And it, like I said, it's just rarely does the best team in baseball win the World Series. And the Braves are not the best team in baseball in 2021. You know, you could make an argument that Houston had a had a gripe to be the best best team of baseball last year when they won the World Series. Maybe the Dodgers in 2020, but 2020 was such a weird year. Nationals in 2019, man, the Nationals weren't the best team in baseball. It it rarely, rarely pans out that the best team wins because it's all about getting hot at the right time. It is what it is. Uh, baseball season is done. The good news is, is now we don't have to try well, to watch not, the Braves. It's not done, but it's done for us. <laughs> it's still going. Uh, yeah, strong. well, it's it's over. I mean, we we no no one cares about baseball anymore. It was only about the Braves. No more baseball, only football. Yeah, I say I still I still love baseball, and I will probably watch the World Series. I flipped it over and watched a little bit of the Phillies Diamondbacks last night, but I didn't watch a lot. Um, but anyway, speaking of t- our teams that went down, wit. Big news, your team didn't go down. But Brock Bowers is out four to six weeks. And so you're potentially talking about maybe Brock Bowers not coming back until probably the Georgia Tech game, the last game of the regular season at the earliest. I would think that they would hold him out until the SEC championship should they get there, which there's like a 99.9% probability that Georgia's going to get there. But Brock Bowers going down, man, it... It really hurts Georgia's opportunities to feel like they've got the games left on their schedule that were going to be tough that are like shored up now. You know, I was feeling less and less confident in Tennessee going into Neyland. Um, but now Georgia's got to go into Neyland without their best offensive weapon and they got to face Ole Miss at home without their best offensive weapon. I mean, how, how big of an impact, honestly, is Brock Bowers being out going to have on that? Still really good offense. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about the Braves being the best team in baseball this year. Brock Bowers is the best team in college football this year. And uh, and he just got hurt. So, I honestly, I've, I've actually done some reading uh, today, and I, I think there's a good chance that he doesn't play unless we make the playoff. I mean, if, I think if we play in the SEC Championship, he'll end up playing. But just considering he's such a high draft pick, too, a lot of times when this happens to guys like this, they end up just sitting out for the full season like Nick Bosa did back with Ohio State in 2019, 19 or 18. Um, so I That's honestly, yeah. in my eyes, I don't think he's going to play again this year. And if he does, it's not going to be the same. So the way that Georgia is going to respond when they play against Florida in two weeks is what we're going to see from Georgia for the rest of the season. So it's going to come down to guys like Dominic Lovick at receiver, guys like Arian Smith. Um, Rob Rod Thomas, guys that aren't at the top of the top of the roster in terms of receivers, like Lad McConkey, but are lower tier guys that could that could be matchup nightmares against some slot corners and whatnot. Um, those are the ones that are gonna have to step up and make some plays. And Carson Beck's been really good this year. He's had a couple bad games, uh, a couple bad throws that he's made up for, but besides that, he's been pretty solid. So 
I think Georgia can make up for it. I think the run game's starting to round into shape too. Running backs are starting to get healthy. So I don't think it's the end of the world for Georgia, but it is a massive loss. So I, I do predict, and I predicted for the end of the year that Tennessee would beat Georgia. I don't know if I think Tennessee is going to beat Georgia, but I do think Georgia ends up with a loss for the end of the season if, if Brock Bowers does not get healthy within like three or four weeks. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it. I don't think it really hinders Georgia's ability to win the SEC East, let alone win the SEC Championship, still make the playoff. I think it makes the task a little more difficult than it probably was going to be going into the year, and as we saw, it kind of play out throughout the year. But you're exactly right. Uh, Brock Bowers is the best team in the country, man. Like he won the Auburn game. He carried that team on his back. Now, granted, Georgia's defense played very well on the road, which. It's still a very hard thing to do, even against Auburn with the quarterback that's as inept as Peyton Thorne is. But, you know, he single-handedly – well, let me rephrase that. He didn't single-handedly win the game. It still takes 22 guys to win the game, right? But he he played a huge factor in what could have been Georgia's really only close opportunity to lose a football game so far in the season. But, you know, without him – being in the open field, like Georgia still has a lot of good receivers. I mean, you got McConkey back, you still got Ra Ra. Like, there's talent on Georgia's offensive side of the ball, and it doesn't take away their full potential on offense, but it does hinder it. And I really think it makes the which we're not we're not going to talk about this week. We'll talk about it next week going into that game because both both the mine and your teams, Georgia and Florida, are on a bye week this week, leading into the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, as always. But I think it makes the Florida game more interesting, and I'm not even saying that from a biased Florida fan perspective. I'm, I really just, I think it makes it more interesting. I think even with the extra week to prepare for Florida, you know, I think Georgia's going to find a way to try to resolve their issues and practice the best they can with this extra time. But I think I don't think every game on Georgia's schedule is now as solidified as it was. One player does make that big of a difference sometimes, and Brock Bowers is that kind of spectacular playmaker that can make a huge difference in the outcome of football games. We've seen it. We've we've definitely seen it. But you know, you mentioned Tennessee and I did as well. And it kind of makes me beg the next question of Tennessee looks like a completely different philosophy this year in the type of team that they are. Their defense is really solid which is wild to think from a Josh Heupel team. This is this week against Texas A&M at home. This is the first win in Josh Heupel's career as a head coach at UCF or Tennessee in the this is year 3 at Tennessee. So in the 6 years that Josh Heupel has been a head coach, this is his first win as a head coach where his team did not score 30. Anytime Josh Heupel's team has scored under 30 points, his team has lost. And it, it's very, very surprising that Tennessee was, which I picked him to win, but it's very, very surprising to see that kind of mentality and philosophy coming from Tennessee this year. Joe Milton hasn't been that great, but their opponent, Texas A&M, they're 4-3 and three now. You and I had a conversation about this last night off air, but the rest of their schedule... I can't find Texas A&M coming out any better than 7-5. and five. And now that begs the $78.2 million question. 
I think it's time. I think you have to pull the plug. And I think it might be best to do so now before it could get worse. Yeah, I mean, Chad, you said it last week, too, and we we just had a TikTok post go up about it yesterday. Um, Mike Elko at Duke. He was the defensive coordinator when Kevin Sumlin was there for years. They had an elite defense even when Kevin Sumlin was there. Am I wrong? You look like you're shaking your head at me. No, but he was also there during the Jimbo Fisher tenure as well. Yeah, he was there for the first couple of years. But when A&M had a really yeah, good yeah, defense, yeah. it was because of Mike Elko. Goes on to become yeah, the head yeah, coach yeah. at Duke. Does as well as he's done last year. They were what eight and four. End of the season, eight and four. This year, they they have one loss, and it's to Notre Dame in a tight, tight game. He's done a really good job. He's proven that he is a good college football mind, and that he can take control of a program and do what he did at Duke, which is completely flip it around. Um, so, if I'm a And M, and I think Chad's right, if Mike Elko's available and if he's willing to come to Texas A and M, you gotta you gotta take him when you can. Because I think that's a guy, you could put him right back in there. He already knows the boosters. He already knows the program. The fans are familiar with him, and they've seen what he's done at Duke, and I think they'd be excited about him too. Uh, Plus, a lot of the players that are there, especially the big-time five-stars, he recruited those guys. The defense is where most of the talent is at A&M. So if he could keep those guys there, not have a bunch of guys transfer, um, they'd be pretty set because they have a really, really, really solid roster. Very solid. Uh, Obviously, they have Wagman hurt this year. Max Johnson hasn't been terrible. He had two picks against Tennessee, um, so he hasn't been phenomenal, but he's but he's not bad. Um, but Wegman's been really good. This He was good before he got hurt. Um, if they can bring him back, if they can get Elko in there for next year, I could see A&M being that juggernaut blue blood program that they're right on the edge of being, but they just have been held back by coaching from. Yeah, I fully agree. I, and there's going to be some other vacancies, I think, that obviously come open within the Power Five. But if Texas A&M does decide to move on from Jimbo, and I think at this point, you have to. You absolutely have to move on from Jimbo at this point. There's been, there's been no real improvement. Your best season that you can hang your hat on, your only 10-win season, and correct me if I'm wrong, it may have been a 9-1 and season because they may have only played eight games during the regular season in 2020, was that year. And you still got smashed by Alabama. Now, we could have the conversation about whether or not they were wrongfully left out of the playoff. I firmly think they were, but that's 2020. This is October 17th, 2023. You know, we can't go back in time and change that, obviously. I don't have a don't have a DeLorean in my driveway for us to go back and try to fix that problem. But it's got to be Mike Elko. If you move on from Jimbo Fisher, and we had this conversation last year. You know, we said when, when Brian Harson was fired early on in the year, regardless of the circumstances that kind of surrounded everything with uh, Brian Harson's tenure and his firing, it had to be Hugh Freeze. Now, we're not seeing the immediate results of that at Auburn, but Auburn's not set up to have immediate success the way that I think Mike Elko could walk into a situation at Texas A&M and be set up to have immediate success because, man, that, the coach who takes that job is walking in to an elite situation. And yes, I like to throw around the word elite uh, sometimes, especially when I talk about Texas A&M's defense against Miami. But that is an elite situation to walk into. Look, that, that program is on the cusp of being 
everything you want. The buy-in is there. The money is there. The atmosphere is there. Cultish or not, your opportunity to become a blue blood and a regular staple in college football year in and year out, regardless of whether the fact that Texas and Oklahoma are coming into this conference. You're not a blue blood now, but you could kind of move into that status of kind of where Clemson and Oregon are floating at right now. You know, just kind of move and hover into that spot of, you know, we're kind of new to the scene. We're still really fresh in being a top-tier program. But that opportunity is there. And Mike Elko has to be your guy. You let that guy walk, and defensively, they struggled last year. They struggled on both sides of the ball last year. This year, their defense is pretty solid still, but their offense and their offense has been much, much improved with Bobby Petrino calling the plays. But I think history shows you you don't bring in Bobby Petrino and keep him on staff. I think that would be a disaster. You would have a revolt in in College Station, the likes of Tennessee, when everybody thought they were going to hire Greg Schiano. I think if you try to hire Bobby Petrino, that is absolutely what's going to happen. I don't see any other real viable options. Because the truth of the matter is, is if you go, like, maybe one other viable option that you maybe try to go hire, you know, besides pulling away, you know, something wild like an LSU situation like that we saw with Brian Kelly. I mean, you maybe go get Jeff Trailer from UTSA. He's done a good job at UTSA, but do you think that getting Jeff Trailer is going to really incite the fan base like it would Mike Elko. And Mike Elko is doing it at Duke. Like, Jeff Trailer's doing a great job in a program that I don't even think is 15 years old yet. And, you know, Texas San Antonio. Man, Duke, other than, other than a few years of David Cutcliffe and Steve Spurrier before, when he was there in the 90s before he went to Florida, Duke has no football history. None. And they beat Clemson at home to start the season. College game day went to Durham. This is a basketball school. And what he has done with academic standards, it's, it's essentially the second version of James Franklin at Vanderbilt. It's what we're seeing with Mike Elko and what he's doing at Duke right now. It's got to be him. It's got to be him, and I, I think it's time. I could beat this dead horse all night, and I wish Matt was here to beat it with me. Matt's not with us tonight. But... It's just got to happen. I'm not seeing any changes culturally, and I don't know how you can. I'm not a. I'm not a Aggie insider, but I don't know how you're telling me that the culture of Texas A&M is held together right now with all those, with all the NIL money and all those four and five stars that are that are hanging around. Well, and I feel like the excuse every single year is, "All right, well, look at their schedule. They played one of the toughest schedules in college football." 2019, they had to play the SEC West and Georgia. 2020, they had a really good season. It was a COVID year, right on the cusp of making the playoff. They had a great year. That was that was probably Jimbo's best year. 2021, you know, they struggled. They weren't great, but they still had a really tough schedule. Last year, kind of the same deal. Had the issue of people transferring and quitting on the team, yada, yada, yada. And at the end of the day, Jimbo always has an excuse for why they do bad. And then going into next season, and same with this year's, like you could say AM has not been bad. I don't think they're a bad football team. I think if you take them out of the SEC and put them in the ACC or the Big 12, they're a top four or five program. Easily. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They they might even win. I mean, I think they'd compete with Florida State right now. 
I don't think Florida State's that much think, better than I, they are. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I, I think they could win the ACC. Next season, the SEC is going to be what it is now with Oklahoma and Texas. AM's got to compete. AM can't keep going, well, we got to play Georgia. We got to play Alabama. We got to play LSU. Ole Miss is rocking and rolling with Lane Kiffin. We got to play Ole Miss every single year. They can't keep doing that because now they're going to have, oh, we got to play Oklahoma. We got to play Texas. Both of those guys are on the rise right now. They're, I mean, they're both doing a really good job. They're going to be where they need to be come SEC time. That's six losses a year if they're doing that. They can't have six losses a year. They got to at least make a bowl game. So you're, I think you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a lot of money. Um, I think Jimbo, personally, I think Jimbo came into this job hoping he'd get fired so he could make his $79.5 million or whatever he's going to make for getting fired. Uh, like I always say, being a mediocre power five college football coach, best job in America. Hundred percent, but the greatest job in America. Would it? You don't have to work that hard and you get paid. Who who makes more money? Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, or Will Muschamp, who got fired at South Carolina? Will Muschamp, who got fired at South Carolina. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I mean, it it goes back to it goes back to. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it's it's gone viral at this point. Um, Ed Orgeron. They're interviewing him, and he was talking about. You know, he was sitting on some panel, and he's talking about. You know, coach, we got this much money left on your contract, and you know. Uh, things aren't good. And, you know, we're going to pay you this money and we're going to move on. Which door do you want me to walk out of? And how? <laughs> and when do you need me to leave? Like, exactly. Yeah, well, then you, got, you like, got Ogeron all over social media hanging out with his girlfriend in, at the beach in Miami and stuff, taking all that money from LSU for having one really good season, probably really two really good seasons, one where he won a national championship with Joe Burrow, who arguably best quarterback to ever play in college football. And then you go 2020, 2021. I said argument. 2020 and 2021. (laughs) And you're mediocre at best. If, if even that your team sucks for, for what LSU should be. They were bad. And then he gets, how much did he get? $22 million. I think 22 or $20 million. I think he got, I think he got like 17, which is nowhere close to oh, the near $80 dude, that million. That guy's struggling. $17 million? Are you kidding me? I don't get oh, out of yeah. bed for more than twenty. Man, Jimbo's going to get seventy nine point five, and he got seventeen. Man, no wonder he's he's struggling, man. Someone get him a job. He's already at the beach. You know what I would do with $17 million? I would never work again in my life. That would sit in my savings account. No. I'd accrue that 1%. I'd be fine. I'd be fine. I'd invest in the correct stocks. Fine. NASDAQ, Fortune 500. I would, oh, I I would take I would take at least seven of that and put it into something that invests in accrues interest and just play around with the ten million yeah. for the rest of my life. <laughs> like like the publicly traded Rowdy Southern Saturday podcast. That's what I would do. I'd put all my money into the Rowdy yes. Southern Saturday podcast. Questionable investing. Seventeen point five million. So for all you for all you Wall Street folks out there, our tag is gonna be T R S S because RSS was already taken. Some company, I don't know, they're important. They do like chemical stuff. TRSS, the Rowdy Southern Saturday. So go buy our stocks. It's starting off on the penny stocks, though. It's like those pink sheets that uh, Jordan Belfort used to sell out of that little <laughs> warehouse before he before he scammed everybody. Sell me this mic, Chad. Penny stocks. <laughs> Sell me this mic. <laughs> the, uh, okay, talk, well. Talk to me. Talk I'll, to me. Wit, answer this question. Okay. I just sold you that mic. You had to talk to the mic. <laughs> I knew what he was doing. Well done. Well done. Well done. All right. Well, let's talk about that. That was in the movie, man. Come on. I, I know. I know. I know. I, I saw the movie. I've seen it multiple times. One of my favorites. Great one. 
love that movie. Gotta love Margot Robbie. Um, <laughs> Steve Madden. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Alabama. Alabama, once again, like, like they've done every week, struggle win again against Arkansas. They got them at home. Arkansas is a good team. A&M last week, good team. But this is not what Alabama does. Alabama does not struggle through every single win every week. And I know, I mean, looking at it, Alabama was up 10. They had to control pretty much the entire game. But the fact that Alabama couldn't pull away with this one, in my opinion, I've watched, I watch Arkansas every single week. I think they're good, but they're Alabama should be killing. Even where they're at right now, Alabama should be killing Arkansas, especially at home. The fact that they keep letting teams hang around like this. The defense is playing phenomenal. Might be might be the best defense in college football. But the fact that they keep letting teams hang around like this, Jalen Milrow can't pull them away. The offense can't get going. The run game especially can't get going. Um, it's to me, if I was an Alabama fan, I'd be I'd be a little bit alarmed. The fact that they keep winning football games is a good thing, especially in what I still consider either the best or the second best division in college football. It's 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 still alarming to see Alabama not as dominant as they used to be. Yeah, um, Matt, what are your thoughts? That's right, Matt's not here. But seriously, saved us fifteen I, minutes. Am I am I am I the only one who I feel like I feel like I'm the only one who's like not super concerned about Alabama, like Alabama in a way. Without blowing teams out, kind of, I feel like Alabama, and God, I could be wrong on this. They got Tennessee this week. So, but I feel like Alabama's rounding into form. They were up 24 to six. They were actively blowing them out in the first half. Like the noon slot was nothing to write home about this week by any, like, any reason whatsoever. So like I watched this game and I turned it away. I had to turn it back. I had to turn it back because look, and I think a lot of it has to do with like you just said. Listen, Arkansas might be the best two and five team in the country. And I and it sucks for them because I really love Sam Pittman. I think he's a great dude. And it's such a hard job. And their offensive line, their offensive tackles, which again, we keep talking about this as Sam Pittman's forte. And they continue to struggle up front. They can't protect KJ Jefferson. And they don't have a bad defense either. Luke Haas is a good tight end. Like Arkansas has talent. I think they'll finally get him a win this week against Mississippi State. I really do. Mississippi State's hideous. That's for that's for the people of Starkville. But look, Alabama, I'm not overly concerned. Look, I think Alabama's getting revenge. This week, I think Alabama's getting revenge against LSU. I don't, I don't see any issues with Alabama going into the Iron Bowl and the rest of their schedule. I think they're fine. I really do. Jalen Milrow, I, Brian Reese has started to kind of call the offense of Alabama more to the strengths of Jalen Milrow. He's, they're trying to throw the ball deep, which is something that Jalen Milrow throws a really good deep ball. There's a very pretty deep ball. Um and they're starting to use that. Now, Jalen Murrow's inaccuracies come in the short and mid-range passing games. That's still a struggle, but Alabama's got those hosses in the backfield. And their defense can be good enough to where if you get Alabama 17 to 20 points, Alabama's fine, dude. Like, I don't think there's an offense in college football that can 
just exploit Alabama's defense. And yeah, you could say Texas because Texas put up 28 on them and and won that game. But man, you never know. We play that game all over again. That was week two. I think I think this Alabama team that we have seen over the past two or three weeks is a lot different than the Alabama team that we saw lose to Texas in week two. I'm not overly concerned about Alabama. Um, I really feel like it. they can cruise into the SEC championship game. And, you know, we'll talk about the SEC championship game, but kind of tying back into what we were talking about earlier with Georgia without Brock Bowers. If Brock Bowers doesn't play the SEC championship game, Alabama's got a good enough defense to shut Georgia's offense down. And if that happens and we get there, we'll see. But, look, I'm not overly concerned. I'm really not. I mean, it, I'm sure Matt would have a lot of things to say if Matt was here. But I'm not concerned for him. I mean, I don't feel any sense of threat coming into them this weekend. I don't feel it from LSU. They get both those games at home. I, I feel like Alabama can kind of just cruise to the SEC championship game the way their defense has been playing. Keep letting Jalen Milrow crack a deep one every now and again. Get yourself in field goal range and try to run the ball down their throat and score 21 points. If you're Alabama, tell me tell me how scared you are of your defense giving up that lead. Anyway, I'm not concerned about the tide at all. Let's move into pour one out, cut them off. with who you got this week, buddy? I am pouring one out for Nashville. Got to go back this past weekend. Uh, actually stayed in a hotel instead of staying with a friend for the first time. Uh, I had some Hilton points, so it kind of worked out. Stayed two blocks off of Broadway. Um, man. Number one, you know what? Poor one out for hotels also. I slept like a baby Dude, I'm saying hotel. I've been traveling for work more lately. Oh, God, I'm loving hotel Dude, beds. I'm starting to wish I traveled more for work because I, I sleep better in hotels than I do my own apartment. Granted, I've been sleeping on the couch for the last like three and months. And you're usually but, like super dog tired. When yes, you get, always. Oh, always. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. And, uh, and you can keep it super cold too. For those of us who have slept in a hotel room with you, it's not a pleasant experience for the other for the others of us who have to listen. <laughs> That's to why you. I get my own room. I get my oh. own room. I don't, I don't. I don't. I don't room with people. Are you crazy? Come on. I'm, I'm We've an adult. all three shared a hotel. Room. Exactly. And I'm an adult <laughs> oh, now. Yeah. Last year in Statesboro was oh my god. Wit that was such an awful experience sleep in the same <laughs> room with you, dude. You did it at my house too when you stayed here like a month ago. I, I passed out the chair after you the- fed me drugs. <laughs> Tylenol I gave PM. you Tylenol. I gave drugs. you Tylenol PM. over the counter, but still drugs. <laughs> Whatever, man. I'm just saying. I woke up in my in my house at three o'clock in the morning and wondered why there was a bear in my apartment. And I was like, "Oh, that's just Look, wit." Obstructive sleep apnea. It's a disease. <laughs> it's a I can't help it. <laughs> but I'm pouring one out for Nashville. Got to go to Broadway. Got to go to Midtown. I uh, got to get together with some old friends. Man. I forgot how fun that place is. The last couple of times I've been to Nashville, I've been staying at my buddy Danny's place in Murfreesboro, and we don't ever actually get to downtown. We usually just hang out around Murfreesboro. So getting to go back to downtown, uh, getting to celebrate my friends, Matt and Taylor Harris. Uh, it was their wedding this weekend. Um, They're big White Sox fans and now Tennessee fans. It's not because they live in Tennessee. And so we uh, had a good time, drank a lot. Uh, I forgot how good the live music was there as well. Um, listened to a couple different bands. Only one band played a Zach Bryan song, which is kind of annoying. Um, and it was something in the orange. A little bit mainstream. But besides that, uh, had a really good time. And, uh, you know, I might move back there one day. We'll see. No time soon, but maybe one day. 
Uh, and I'm going to be cutting off. Oof. Going home early. Because Friday night, I went home early from the bars. And by early, I mean 11.30 p.m. <laughs> and uh, I got a call from a buddy the next morning. And he was like, man, you shouldn't have gone home. Things got wild after you left. I guess we were at Loser's Bar. I guess a country music star walked in there. Um, I think it was Cole Swindell, actually. Which, granted, you know, we've seen Cole Swindell. Been there, done that. But still pretty cool. Uh, I guess <laughs> people started following him in there. Um, someone said that Morgan Wallen was on like Midtown or in Midtown. I, I n- n- never confirmed that. None of my friends actually saw him, but uh, missed out on that. Uh, missed out on hanging out with some people that came later on. I had a buddy text me at like 1150 and said, hey, man, are we going to Broadway? And I was already home asleep. So I felt bad. I didn't even get to see him the whole weekend. So um, felt bad about that. So cutting off going home early. Chad, who are you pouring out for? There's not any more to that story, is there, Wit? Not for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But no, I'm going to pour one out for the Pac-12. God, the Pac-12 is awesome this year, dude. It is absolutely awesome. You and I were talking about it last night on the phone. Like The Pac-12, I know you said you think it's going to eat itself alive. I think it's a really good chance that, you know, we're going to see Oregon and Washington play for a playoff spot. I think there will be a Pac-12 team in the playoff this year. I remember talking last year at the end of the season, and it was like in February, and one of y'all asked me, like, who's your... I'm going to use this moment to pat myself on the back. But who is in your way too early top four playoff next year? I said Washington. I feel really, really good about that right now. Look, Oregon and Washington played a whale of a game. Um, game of the day frankly, in, in a day of what was a lot of exciting football. Pac-12 is just really good, dude. Oregon State is solid. I know Washington State has two losses now, and Arizona just dropped 40 on them. But look, even Arizona's not a bad football team. Uh, you know, D, look, look at what happened to Dion Friday night. Dion blew a 29-0 lead at halftime. They went to a double overtime. Now, granted, I didn't stay up and watch that game, but that's exciting. Stanford, not for Colorado, but it's exciting for Stanford. Utah's good. Um, even without Cam Rising, they still, they still look really good, uh, defensively at least. Look, this is just a fun conference, man. Like, you got Chip Kelly at UCLA. You know, the, you never know what you're going to get out of them. USC got absolutely obliterated by Notre Dame, which we didn't really talk about. But still, what an exciting conference the Pac-12 is this year. I would have to go out on the limb. You know, we're SEC supposed to be kind of strictly SEC podcast sometimes. But, man, I got to give props to the Pac-12 for probably being the best conference in college football this year. Absolutely got to give it to them. And I'm going to pour another one out. Uh, no cutoffs this week. Everybody is safe this week. I'll, uh, I'll find myself one for next week. But I'm pouring one out for our brother in arms. Uh, Matthew Howell, who is no longer a teacher, whose name we can say fully on the internet. But Matthew Howell is not with us tonight because Matthew Howell is actively moving into his new home. So congratulations to the Howells. Congratulations to Matthew and Anna Marie and Lucy and Maddox. Um, Went to Maddox's birthday party on Sunday, bought him a little golf club, some little foam golf balls. Uh, Lucy... 
played more with it than Maddox did, and the girl's got a hell of a little golf swing. So, little Lucy, keep your eye on her, man. She's only four years. She's only four years old, but start them early. They're gonna make the howl. She's gonna make the howls a lot of money one day. But yeah, they're moving in down here in Statesboro. Um, the whole crew is coming down to Statesboro this weekend. Let's just just pour one out for Matt and Bullet County as a whole. Matt and I, Bullet County residents now, and Keys, you'll be here Thursday. Wit, you'll be here with Mark on Friday. Mark's coming down. Nathan and Alex are coming down. Um, and Keys' roommate and his girlfriend, Austin and Amanda, they're coming down on Saturday. So just rowdy Southern Saturday crew all over the borough. Got to love it, man. Got to love it. But pour one out for Matt. Congratulations, buddy. We're happy you closed on your home. And shout out to Bullet County. We're going to. We're back, and we're going to tear you down this weekend. That's that's for sure. Uh, pour Keys. it out for us for getting Chad to go to a freaking Georgia Southern football game, too. All right. Still halftime. We have a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Can I start by cutting Chad off for stealing literally both of mine in, in at some point in his indirectly? Yes. As I, I'm sorry, but I, I used to plan my pour one out cut them offs. Now I just kind of sit down and... And feel the flow of what comes to me. So Sorry. I like how he starts one place and then he sweeps across everything to make sure none of us have anything left. All right, pour one out for this weekend in the borough, the boys <laughs> in the borough. Uh, yeah, like Chad said, we're all going down there. It's gonna be a lot of us down there for homecoming, Georgia Southern versus ULM. Uh, it's gonna be a good time. You know, the Southern kind of blew it last week, so you know their season's you know wavering here a little bit. Kind of uh, blew it. Yeah, they blew it big time. But uh, gonna be a, gonna be a good blue. weekend in the borough. Uh, I haven't been down there in a while, so it's gonna be great to be down there with all of you guys. And shout out Chad for letting us all crash his pad. And I'm gonna be cutting off the Colorado hype. This probably could have been cut off a couple of times this season. I was never on this train. Chad mentioned it already. You know they had a 29 to zero lead at the half, and they blew it to Stanford. Uh, 46 to 43 was the final score of that game. There was all kinds of nonsense going on here. First of all, you've got the overhype of Colorado from the get-go this season, and then they kind of looked like they were going to fulfill their destiny there, and then they fell off hard. Uh, you got Shadur Sanders posting links to his merch at halftime. Dion telling his team their loss was pathetic and that they should be ashamed of themselves in the locker room post-game, which, true, but like you guys said last week, you know, you don't really throw it on the players like that you got to take some responsibility and it seems like Dion's always the guy who likes to put it he, he doesn't like to take blame but he likes to take a lot of the fame so cutting off Colorado hopefully one final time this year I don't think there's really anything that could bring them back into the spotlight I think they're done for the season in terms of being really relevant yeah that was rough that was really bad but I know I said we weren't going to do it but I'm sitting here I changed my mind we're all going to be down here it's tradition. We didn't do it last week, and when we didn't do it last week, they got absolutely obliterated. So maybe, maybe, maybe this will change their luck a little bit. First game, as usual, per tradition, tradition is back, regardless of how I feel about it. Two o'clock, ESPN Plus Saturday in beautiful Statesboro, Georgia, the prettiest little campus in America. Allen E. Paulson Stadium, four and two, George Southern Eagles taking on Harry Bowden, my favorite Bowden brother. Led Louisiana Monroe Warhawks at two and four. Southern seventeen point favorite. Witty B. Uh, Southern's going to dominate this football game, and not just because they're better than ULM, but because we're going to be there. And I've already I've already talked to Coach. Um, <laughs> he's he's pretty hyped up. Coach he's Holton extremely excited. Uh, Davis Prince Solomon said. Fu- so- 
David Davis Brin said, you know, maybe I'll hold off throwing nine interceptions in a game until next week. Since you guys are coming in town, let's make it nine touchdowns. So he said he's going for the record. I believe him. Uh, me and Chad even have plans to potentially leave at halftime because we think We're five touchdowns, halftime. five touchdowns will happen in the first uh, first half, which I am betting my money on, uh, physically and and figuratively. So uh, George Southern wins by one hundred and fourteen points. Chad. <clears throat> yeah, I uh, actually saw Coach Helton in Food Line today. I uh, stopped him and said, listen here, what you did last week was just absolute nonsense. I'm not bringing all these people into my apartment for you to go out there and embarrass this university anymore. But no, nah, seriously, we, we are leaving at halftime. I'm sorry. I'll explain why we're leaving at halftime later, but we're leaving at halftime with. I'm sorry. I like if you were if it is three fifteen and you were not headed to the car, I will leave you there. Is someone driving? Just saying. <laughs> I'm not driving. I'm in the beer garden, man. I'm putting drinks down the whole game. Mm. I mean, we're going to Dingus first. We can leave the car there. It's plenty of time to sober up yeah, on the walk back. Walk. We'll sweat it out. Even though it's supposed to feel really good this weekend, actually. Weather down here has been great. It's officially I don't know about fall. up there. Weather down. Thank God. It's officially fall. Yeah, but it's. It's it's going to be nice and like low, I think high sixty Saturday, and that's the reason I'm picking Georgia Southern to win. Have you ever seen a team from Louisiana win in the cold? No, no, you have not. And you know what? This is South Georgia, and they're from Louisiana. It's even hotter there than it is here, and it sucks in July here. It is miserable in July here. This is my favorite time of year. The low on Saturday. It's going to be 49 degrees with a high of 71. That's cold to the people of Louisiana. It's cold to me. Like, I walk outside in my underwear when it's 49 degrees. I love it. But give me the Eagles. It's too cold for Terry Bowden and the Warhawks. Peace. So UL Monroe and your Hattiesburg boys are in a heated battle for worst team in the Sun Belt right now. I'm oh, definitely God, taking we, the Eagles. The game. Eagles all the way. This is the worst team in the Sun Belt, arguably, versus a decent team in the Sun Belt, hopefully. So <laughs> Eagles all the way. Georgia Southern by three touchdowns. I think they got to have a big redemption week. Hey, the boys in Hattiesburg are doing the best they can. They're the trying. Lord, the, Lord looks, the Lord looks upon Hattiesburg, Mississippi with a smile, just like he looks on Laramie, Wyoming with a smile. Hey, it's going to be a happy and homecoming in Statesboro. Oh yeah, it is going to be. We're going to be. We're going to go to Dingus and we're going to drink natty pitchers and then we're going to get an Uber back to a safe place. <laughs> per per but, Mark per Mark Blue Room also. So oh lord, <laughs> we'll 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 see about Blue Room. I don't know but, if I want to feel. Remember my remember my cut him off last year after we went to Statesboro. Yeah. I felt old in there, dude. Yeah. I don't want to feel old anymore. Yeah, if, we have, if we have enough of, of us old heads there, you won't have to feel old. Dude. Just stand in the middle it's of It's homecoming. Us. This is a great time to go. <laughs> There's more old people now. It's true, actually. It is, it, is, uh, it is homecoming, and I imagine it's, pro- it's usually parents' weekend around this time, too. No, no not weekend. the same weekend as homecoming. Not the same weekend? No. Okay. It's, they really should do that while the other old people are in town. But <laughs> while, we're si- while we're sitting at Dingus or wherever it is we're getting lunch, I imagine, it, I imagine it'll be Dingus. Humongous game. Big noon kickoff on Fox. Top 10 matchup in the Big Ten with a lot of Big Ten East and Big Ten Championship and playoff implications. This game is massive. 
Game day is going to be there. Any given Saturday tour is going to be there. Number seven, Penn State. Goes on the road. Number three, Ohio State. Ohio State, slight four-point favorite. That's pretty much just the line for them being at home. Wit, who do you got? So last week, there was a lot of hype around Oregon and Washington as the best game of the season so far. Um, everybody talked about two top ten teams. Two teams so far looked like they could actually win a national championship uh, if they got to that point. I think this is that game that should be getting that hype more so than Oregon-Washington, even though both those teams are really good. Penn State and Ohio State this year are two teams that could win a national championship. And Ohio State, in my opinion, took a step back from last year. C.J. Stroud's a really good quarterback. He's proven it in Houston. He's the first Ohio State quarterback in Lord knows how long that has come out and played like a star uh, now they got Kyle McCord. Kyle McCord is not a bad quarterback, but if you watch him compared to C.J. Stroud, it's it's pretty much night and day. Um, so that being said, they have stud wide receivers. Defense, it's number what is it number two in passing defense this year. I mean they're they're phenomenal. It's it's top ten defense in the country. Uh, they've done everything they could to change what was going on last year, where they were giving up forty points a game. They're phenomenal. They looked really good against Notre Dame. They have one of the best wins of the season so far. Uh, and they get Penn State at home. Penn State has looked a million times better than they've looked the past couple years. They finally got another quarterback in there outside of uh, Sean Clifford, who is Drew Allard. Don't, Drew don't, been ever, good. don't ever say his name again on this podcast. It's, exactly. Gone. Drew Allard. Drew Allard's in at quarterback. He's played really well. Run game is so good. So, so good. Nick Singleton. Those guys have been awesome. Um, so I th- I think this is going to be a really close one. It's going to be low scoring. I mean, I don't know what the over-under is. I haven't gotten to look at it yet. I can imagine it's under 30 or under 40 at least. I would take that under. 46 and a half. 46? 46 and a half. Oh, my. I'm hammering that. Holy crap. I mean, I think I think this is a 17 to 14 football game. Maybe 20 to 17 football game. It's going to be very similar to the Notre Dame game. I actually think Penn State is a better football team than Ohio State this year, especially considering the fact that Ohio State has their top three running backs hurt coming into this game. Emeka Buka didn't even play last game because he's hurt. Marvin Harrison got hurt in the Notre Dame game. He's been playing with a little bit of a limp. He's still playing really well. Had a really good game against Purdue. Um, so they're still going to be solid. Defense is healthy. Denzel Burke actually got hurt against Purdue also, who's their best corner and might be their best defensive player. So there's there's some injuries there. This is a good year for Penn State to knock off Ohio State, but I'm going to take Ohio State. I think Ohio State wins the game. I think it's super close. I think Ohio State wins. They're five-point favorite. I think they win 20-17. to 17. So I'm going to say they don't cover, but they do win the football game. Chad, who you got? You'll have to excuse me as I was going back and changing the O and the P on our picks tracker on my phone because I, I was fully, fully convinced you had me. I thought you were going Nittany Lions right there. But um, one thing I forgot to do on the lead-in, Matt actually gave me his pick, so y'all have to forgive me. Matt is going with Penn State. But let me read you off some numbers before I get into my pick. 15, 7, 13, 0, 13, 0. What are those numbers? One of the zeros is... Is uh, James Franklin wins in Columbus? I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, that is the amount of points Penn State has allowed their opponents this year. 
They have not allowed an opponent to break 15. Two of their six games, they have not allowed any points. One game, they only allowed seven. They have only allowed double-digit points in half the games they've played this year. Let me read you some more numbers. Rushing yards allowed by Penn State on average. 72 and a half. Passing yards allowed on average. 121. Now granted, the best team that Penn State has played to this point this year has been probably Illinois. They haven't played exactly a stellar schedule, but what do I say all the time? Good teams handle and beat the teams that they are supposed to beat. You have a light schedule. You take care of business. Drew Aller, casually 118 of 181. He's casually got 12 touchdowns and no interceptions. He casually has 1,300 yards passing. Just casual numbers. Now, granted, Ohio State has the best receivers that Penn State's going to have played this season. And it's on the road. But it's like you just said. I think if there's any year that it feels like it's finally Penn State's turn and it's Penn State's opportunity to win these big games against Michigan and against Ohio State, it's this season. And I'm going with the Nittany Lions. I believe in Drew Aller, and I believe in this Penn State defense. I think this is going to be a slugfest. I agree. I think hammer the under. Columbus is going to be rocking. But Penn State is a really good defensive football team. And I've got to go with the Nittany Lions. I think this is the year that James Franklin finally gets his signature win uh, in the Big Ten East. And we'll see him play Michigan again later on in the year. And I think they're going to go into that game without a blemish on their record whatsoever. So give me the Nittany Lions to pull the upset this week. But moving on out of the Big Ten to the SEC. Third Saturday in October. CBS 330, number 17, Tennessee, number 11, Alabama. Alabama, a nine and a half point favorite over under in this game. 49 points. Uh, Matt has picked Alabama. Of course, Matt's rolling with the tide, but this is why we are leaving at 315 from the George Southern game because we will smoke a cigar with Matt at his new home should Alabama win. That's how we're going to christen new Howell House. But Wit, tell me who you got. Uh, minus nine and a half for Alabama over Tennessee. Even at home, I hate that for I hate that for Alabama. I don't see that happening. No way. I mean, if they're going to let A and M and Arkansas stay within six points, I don't see. I don't see Tennessee not staying within ten. So, with the points, I'm taking Tennessee. Tennessee is not as good as they were last year. Joe Milton to me has been a massive disappointment. Has he really been? No. But in my eyes, I had him picked as the Heisman. So he's been terrible compared to what I thought he'd be. Their run game's really solid. The receivers are taking a huge step back. The defense, as Chad stated earlier, has really stepped it up. Um, I still think it's a good football team. If this is a normal season, if this is last year even, Alabama rolls in this game. They get them at home. Um, last year, you feel you felt good with Bryce Young. I don't feel good with Jalen Milrow. He's been a lot better recently. 
Uh, two games ago against AM, he threw for, I think it was 350 yards. Jermaine Burton had a great game. Uh, receiver stepped up. Last week, they had Kobe Prentice step up. He had a great game. Um, I don't see that happening here. I think I think Tennessee plays them really tight. Um, I think they play them a lot tighter than people think they will. I don't think Milrow has a lot of success. I still am going to take Alabama because it's at home, but I think Tennessee keeps this game really close. But Saban's not going to lose to Tennessee two years in a row. There's no way it's going to happen. Not after beating them for 15 years straight um, and after what happened last year where they stormed the field. I mean, even as close as that game was last year, that was embarrassing for Alabama. And Nick Saban does not get embarrassed and then turn around and then get embarrassed again. So that uh, I'm going. I'm going to go Alabama, Tennessee to cover. Chad, who do you got? I think Alabama covers. I think Alabama absolutely covers. No, I think this will be a low scoring output. Um, like you just said, I think Joe Milton has been a little bit of a disappointment from my own standards. While he hasn't been terrible. But I think this this game, Alabama has been thinking about everything that happened to them last year in Knoxville. They have had this game circled on the schedule. And I think Tennessee, with the win that they got at home last week against Texas A&M, that, that was a lookover spot, right? Texas A&M at home, Alabama had Arkansas at home. Two possible lookover spots on the schedule. Alabama in the second half may have had a little bit of a lookover there after they got that big lead. Tennessee did not. Tennessee's defense played up. They beat Texas A&M. They took care of business from a team out of the SEC West coming in with a lot of hype. Alabama kind of faltered in the second half, kind of looked like they got put on cruise control there. Their defense still did what they were supposed to do. Look, with Joe Milton's struggles, I don't see this Alabama defense being exactly an easy task for him to be a game that's going to try to get it going in a hostile environment that this is going to be this weekend. I Tuscaloosa is going to have one of the best crowds they've had in a very long time. And they just had Texas at home. They really did just have Texas at home in week two. But this game, I think, is going to be even more meaningful. And I think the people of Tuscaloosa are going to have a party into the night. I think Alabama blows Tennessee out. They're going to blow them out in the kind of way where it's like 21-6. to six. It's not like a huge point spread. I think Alabama will cover but it's not going to be like a huge cover. Give me Alabama 21 to 9, 24 to 9, 21 to 6 type deal. I just don't see Joe Milton being able to go on the road in this spot after what happened last year and have the ability to get it going against probably the best defense in college football. So I really sincerely hope that we can stand on the back porch of Matt's new Bullet County home as the sun sets and smoke cigars with our boy Matt. So three elephants across the board there. Picking Alabama. Moving on to the ACC. 7.30 ABC, another ranked matchup. Number 16, Duke. 5-1, and one, going on the road to Dote Campbell. Number 4, Florida State at 6-0. and oh. Night game, Jordan Travis versus Riley Leonard. Not a fully healthy Riley Leonard, but pretty good quarterback matchup there. Over-under in this football game is 49 points. Matt has the Seminoles. Witt, who do you have? I also have the Seminoles. Um, I think this is the toughest game that Florida State is going to play this season up until the ACC championship. And uh, I'm not saying that UNC is much better than Duke either because I, I think Duke's a pretty good football team. And I uh, I think it's going to be close. I think Riley Leonard comes out and plays a really tough game. But I like Florida State at home. I think they're a much better team at home as they showed last week when they got to play Syracuse at home and the week before when they got Virginia Tech. So 
I think they roll. Um, I think they win by at least 14 points. Um, but I do think Duke keeps it close until the end of, until the fourth quarter and Florida State rolls uh, with Jordan Travis and uh, Keon Coleman at the end. So, Chet, who you got? Yeah, I'm going to go with Florida State as well. But I think this game will be really close. Did I? I feel like I left the line out of this. I I did. I didn't say it. It's for it's a Florida State 14 point favorite. And I, I think I'm good with that line. I, look, I think Duke has the type of defense and a solid enough quarterback in Riley Leonard to keep it close, even though they're going to be on the road. Look, this is a game that, again, Doke Campbell is going to be really hyped for this game. And I think Florida State's going to come into this game with a lot to prove. I feel like I feel like there's a sense of doubt as the season goes on. Like, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's this lingering sense of doubt over Florida State throughout the country, and it's a very silent sense of doubt. People just kind of think Florida State and Norvell, they're going to fall off at some point, right? I don't think they are. I don't really have a loss on Florida State's schedule going into the ACC championship game, and they still have to play Miami. But but Florida State, they're just more talented. Look, what we keep talking about Mike Elko and what he's done, he's the hottest coaching candidate coming into the coaching carousel that hasn't even fully started to spin yet. And he's not going to be a Duke next year. So this is a big game. It's a big statement for him to try to go into Florida State and add to the name that they've already made for themselves this year. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be close until probably that end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter type deal where Florida State will kind of pull away. And I think Florida State wins by like 17. This is a good quarterback matchup, be a solid defensive matchup. But at the end of the day, there's just too many athletes out on the perimeter that Duke cannot match up with. And Florida State's going to have the ability to pull away late in this game and further add to their resume against the Duke team that I fully believe is deserving of their top 20 ranking that they currently have. But moving on to what I believe is going to be the Hugh Freeze Bowl. Hugh Freeze returns. Well, not really officially returns because Liberty did play Ole Miss last year in Oxford. But... Ole Miss going on the road to the Plains. You feel a little bit of that fall black magic in the air around the Plains of Eastern Alabama. Ole Miss, number 13 at 5-1. and one. Auburn's 3-3. Three and three. Ole Miss is only a 6.5-point favorite. 7 o'clock on ESPN. Over-under in this game sits at 56.5. Matt, of course, riding with his alma mater, Ole Miss. Wit, who do you got? Uh, I don't like this for Ole Miss. It does not feel good. Uh, six and a half. Vegas is telling us something. Hugh Freeze it at Auburn after what happened to him at Ole Miss. This is Auburn's first real night game in Jordan-Hare Stadium with Hugh Freeze as the head coach. And they get Ole Miss. This feels very much like black magic. Chad said before the season, we all said before the season, really, um, that he was going to get one. I had them, I had to... It's picked as Alabama. I don't see that happening uh, at this point. Chad had it picked as LSU. Obviously, they lost by 30. That didn't work out. No, not even close. Uh, and that was at LSU. But Ole Miss at home. Ole Miss, one loss in the SEC, one loss on the season, and it's Alabama. And they're ranked 13. What a letdown game this would be for Ole Miss. What a letdown game this would be for Lane Kiffin if they lose this game. So I'm going to pick Auburn. I think with the points... Uh, I think it's really close, but I think Hugh Freeze comes out of nowhere. I think the passing game gets going, something they haven't done all season. Stuff stuff is going to happen in this game you don't expect at all. 
because that's what Auburn does in Jordan Hare Stadium at night. You're going to see some weird black magic stuff happen. You're going to see like ghosts and goblins floating around. Jackson Dart might just start floating out of nowhere at some point and, and, and just run backwards for 30 yards. Like you have no idea what's about to happen in this game. So I'm going to take Auburn. I think Auburn beats Ole Miss. And uh, I think it's a huge, huge letdown for an Ole Miss team that I think is playing really well. So give me the War Eagle Tiger Plainsman. Chad. There's a part of me that really wants to go along with that pick. But I am 0 for 2 on picking Auburn this year. I picked Auburn to get their Hugh Freeze win against Ole Miss, or excuse me, not Ole Miss, against LSU last week. I also picked Auburn to go into Texas A&M and win on the road there. I'm 0 for 2 on that, and it's killing me in the standings right now. And I fully believe that everything that you just said is fully plausible. Like, the Auburn voodoo will absolutely come out at some point. The one thing that I disagree with, though, that you didn't really mention, you mentioned Jackson Dart, but you didn't really mention as a whole, is quarterback play. Peyton Thorne, let's, man, let's just be real. Peyton Thorne's not that good. He is not that good. Listen to these stats, man. He's 71 of 117. He hasn't broken 800 yards passing on the year. He has 745 yards passing on the year in a Hugh Freeze offense. His plus-minus ratio on touchdowns and interceptions is even. It's at zero because he only has four touchdown passes. And he's about to double his passing yards in this game. <laughs> he's going to throw for 745 yards. According when to when your receivers can fly with the help of goblins, then what are you going to do? <laughs> You can't stop that. Are our, our, our Dementors going to come flying around on brooms? The Dementors, like the they're everywhere. The everywhere. <laughs> but seriously, look, Jackson Dart, this is a huge spot. This is a huge spot. Jordan Hare is going to have the voodoo ready, but I just think Jackson Dart's a better quarterback than Peyton Thorne. Look, the line on this game is six and a half. I think that's about right. I think Auburn's going to keep it close. I think it's one of those games where Ole Miss fans are going to have to hold their breath. Don't be surprised if this is one of those situations where you think Auburn voodoo is going to happen and you can just feel it in the air and Auburn is up like 28 to 21 with seven minutes left to go in the game and Peyton Thorne just goes off out of nowhere and there's witches and goblins and bats and they're stewing them on the sideline in a, in a pre-Halloween special. And it's just like, you can feel it, but then Old Miss, Old Miss is just going to snatch, snatch it right from Auburn's jaws, man. I don't think Lane Kiffin's going to let his team be let down. If anything, when you look at Old Miss's schedule, they have Vanderbilt next week. That's the letdown spot. That's the letdown spot to have Vanderbilt at home sandwiched in between Auburn and Texas A&M and Georgia. Because that's Ole Miss's next four games. I don't think this is going to be the letdown spot. I think that I think Vanderbilt would be the game they struggle in, but I think Lane Kiffin knows the significance of this game. And no matter how much voodoo Auburn tries to create in the science labs that they have in Alabama, if they even have science in, in that part of the state... I just don't see it, and I'm probably going to be wrong, and it's probably going to really piss me off because Auburn's going to screw me again, but give me Ole Miss in a very little ounce of confidence that I have in this football game 
Give me the Rebels to win by three late. 31-28. In a snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. And Auburn's just... Auburn's going to Auburn, man. Auburn's going to Auburn. Last game of the week, though. USC. 8 o'clock on Fox. Number 18. Probably should have dropped a little further than that, in my opinion. 6-1. and one, Hosting number 14, Utah. At 5-1. and one. Got obliterated last week on the road in South Bend. Get to return home and get a revenge game for those two games that they lost last year that kept them out of the college football playoff, both to Utah. Utah, as far as we know, still without Cam Rising. Haven't heard anything about Cam Rising any different. Don't even know if we'll see Cam Rising this year. But Utah, six-and-a-half-point favorite. It's going to be a night game in the Coliseum. We're 5 o'clock on the West Coast, so it'll eventually be a night game. Over-under in this football game, 56. Wit. Uh, excuse me. Matt has the Trojans. Wit. I also have the Trojans. Um, you look at this game. Caleb Williams coming off what, on paper, is his worst performance of the season. Uh, he had three picks against Notre Dame. He got eaten alive in that game. I mean, that was one of the tougher games he's had to play in his career. Uh, at least in college football. Um, in my opinion, still the best player in college football. Put him on any team, that team is better. I know Chad will disagree. I know some other people will disagree. Um, I think he's an absolute superstar. Dude can make every throw on the field. He can run the ball. Um, the only time you see him make a mistake is when he's getting absolutely obliterated because his offensive line can't keep up. That team around him, the receivers are really solid. The running backs are really solid. They've done a really good job of grabbing players from the portal and bringing them in, skill players, to help out Caleb Williams. They've done a really bad job of bringing in trenches. Offensive line's terrible. Defensive line, not great. Defense in general, absolutely atrocious. Probably the worst defense in college football. Them or LSU, more than likely. But USC, they don't match up well with Utah. Utah is strong in the trenches. They run the ball well. They play tough defense. Um, even without Cam Rising, I still think it's a really bad matchup for USC. But the fact that they don't have Cam Rising, I just... I don't see them being able to keep up points-wise. So I think it's a high-scoring game. I think USC wins the game. Uh, what's the line? Six and a half? I, I don't see USC... I don't see Utah keeping within that six and a half. I think it's a touchdown game. I'm going to say seven. So I'm going to say USC 30-something, maybe 33. Utah, maybe like 22, 23. Um, Chad, what about you? I think USC is going to absolutely obliterate Utah. And when I say obliterate Utah, I mean they still give up 28 points to Utah's backup quarterback. And that offense, which has really been abysmal without Cam Rising because they have not been good. They didn't look good against Cal last week. Like you said, Utah's really good up front. Utah's very physical football team. You know what you're going to get out of a Kyle Whittingham coach team. They're going to be physical. They're not going to be the best athletes you've ever faced, but they're going to be physical. They're going to be solid kids. But you can't like you have to respond. Okay. We talked about Notre Dame stretch that they have to go that they just had to go through in those four games before they got their bye week. Look, USC has already had their bye week. USC's already had their bye week, and let me just read off the rest of USC's schedule starting with Utah this week. Utah at home. They go to Cal. Eh. Washington at home. Oregon on the road. UCLA at home. All but Cal, 
of their five remaining games are ranked. And they get how many on the road? They get three at home, which is beneficial, but they have to go to Oregon. And I just, that's a really hard stretch. I don't think that USC is going to lose this week, but USC will lose again. We'll probably pick the game, and I think USC will eventually lose again. But it's not going to be this week. I think USC is going to come out. I don't disagree with you, Wit. Like, I think Caleb Williams is a phenomenal player. I think he's going to be a great quarterback in the NFL. I think he's a great quarterback in general. The only thing I've ever said is I would just, if I'm a, like, speaking as a Falcons fan, I would rather draft Drake May over Caleb Williams. Just a personal preference. But USC is going to come out, make a statement. I think they have the ability to just out-athlete Utah on the outside, which is something they did not do last year in their two losses. But I think they kind of, coming off a loss on the road like that, the way that you got embarrassed, knowing that you have the Utah game already circled on your schedule for what they did to you last year in both games they played you in, I think USC is going to come out and drop like 55 on Utah. Give me USC like 55 to 28 in a statement win and what we'll probably all look at and go, wow, USC only gave up 28. That's an improvement for the Lincoln Riley's defense, which it won't be. But I still think USC, even though they'll probably get out physical, going to come out and play pissed off and get, get their receivers to the outside. Utah doesn't have the athletes to keep up. Give me the Trojans or they start this really tough stretch. Thank you guys so much for tuning into Rowdy Southern Saturday. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Music and follow our social media at RowdyPod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.